and welcome to Hacker Public Radio. I'm Monster B, and today I have an interview with Thomas Cherry Holmes of the Linux MC Project. Welcome to the show, and how are you doing, Thomas? Not too bad. How about you? Pretty good. Uh, could you tell us what what is Linux MCE? Well, I guess I could best answer this. Um, okay. Think about all the devices in your house. Think about your house. Your house has a number of different pieces of technology that you use on a day-to-day basis. You have, uh, typically at the center of all of this, at the very least, you have lighting, your lights, your lamps, your uh, individual fixtures on the walls, etc., etc. You also have uh, media subsystems such as your uh, media center, your VCR, DVD player, etc., etc. Some houses actually have a security system. Uh, others, Others have climate control. And you have, of course, a telephone inside of your house, although a lot of people uh, do use cell phones these days. Uh, A lot of people still have landlines coming into their house. What Linux MCE is, actually, even though we call ourselves Linux Media Center Edition, we are actually a smart home platform, one of the very first of its kind. What this means is we install a particular piece of a computer that you can build yourself, uh, into the closet in one of your houses, say a wiring closet somewhere in the garage or uh, in the pantry somewhere. It really doesn't matter. It just needs to have adequate ventilation, etc. But I digress. Once you've installed this, uh, once you've installed this server with uh, at least, at the very least, uh, storage for your media. It may also contain uh, it may also contain tuner cards for your TVs. It may also contain uh, It may also contain interfaces for uh, lighting control systems, climate control systems, et cetera, all going into it. Uh, It will essentially take over every single aspect of your house. Now, think about the different control, the the different methods of control inside your house, all the different things that you interact with on a user interface basis. You have, of course, your computers that you work with, but you also have your cell phones. You may have PDAs. Uh, and or internet tablets such as the Nokia N810, whatever. You may even have uh, IP telephones with um, intelligent touchscreen displays that can run web services, a few do. Not many, but it is the number is increasing. But all of these different devices can be used to control every single aspect of your house. Now, of course, you've got the core machine that you install. You've got the different control devices, which we call orbiters, which can which can unify every single aspect of the house. And then attached to each TV in the house, you have a diskless PC, which we call a media director. There's nothing special about it. Uh, we do have um, we do have specific hardware requirements due to uh, due to the nature of the software, but they're really nothing more than standard diskless PCs that you plug up to your TV. And once you do that, you have access to, again, it's an orbiter, so it has access to all of the house functions. You can turn lights on and off. You can uh, change your air conditioning, climate control. And the most important thing, since it is a media director, you can watch any media in the house. By media, we, of course, mean um, audio files, video files, uh, DVDs, etc., as well as live TV or recorded TV. Now, how we do all of this is we have um, there are a variety of open source projects that are already out there 
that do these individual components very well. Uh, Zenny, Myth TV, Asterisk, um, so on and so on. What we essentially do is we take these particular pieces of software and we add a whole bunch of integration glue and wrap them all in a message bus protocol that allows all of the individual disparate pieces of the system to communicate with each other to provide a cohesive whole while using the orbiters, the individual devices such as your cell phone, your internet tablets, uh, laptop PCs, whatever, as forms of control. Now, all of this combines together to produce what is essentially one big smart home system in appliance form. The nice thing is, unlike other systems of this kind, we have two major advantages. One, our system is relatively inexpensive compared to other solutions that are in similar areas, such as um, Crestron and AMX. Uh, and two, unlike Crestron, AMX, Control 4, etc., we have access to, and you have access to, all of the source code that makes all of this work. So it can be modified, extended, uh, not only by uh, not only by installers, but interested hackers and end users such as yourself. And all of this basically combines together to produce some interesting uh, some interesting artifacts. Let me take you through an example. Uh, okay, let me give me a second here to hold my breath, and I'll come. Okay, it's in the it's late in the afternoon. You're watching TV. And all of a sudden, uh, your friend Steve calls you on the phone. Next, the first thing that you see, the TVs in the house immediately show that someone is calling on the phone. You hear the ring on the TV. You answer the phone on the TV. The TVs have a USB microphone attached to them. So you can use the TV in and of itself as a telephone. You talk in. Say, hey, Steve, how you doing? Hey, man, what's up? You want to hang out? Da -da, da -da -da. Yeah, sure, come on over. No problem. Now, the interesting thing what happened was I was watching. You noticed that I was watching something on the TV. Well, when the phone call came in, it paused what was on the TV so that I could answer the telephone automatically. And when I finished, when I finished answering the telephone, I hung up using the remote, and the movie kept back on playing. It's later on in the day. Steve comes over. He knocks on the door, rings the doorbell. The doorbell is attached to the system through an interface, but I also have a uh, Panasonic IP camera attached, and I also have a small, simple, SIP-based door phone at the door. So what happens? He rings the doorbell. I see a camera feed outside, and it connects me with the it connects me with the door phone outside. Now the way that we typically have this set up is that we use the cell phone for such interactions, mostly because you it, it carry it carries it with you, and uh, it actually allows us to have a greater amount of control that way. So even if you're, for example, outside of the house in the backyard or something, you can still see who's at the front door, look at them on the look at look at them on the cell phone, and if you want to let them in, you can tap the button on the cell phone to trigger an electric door strike to open the door. Now he comes in, you guys, we hang out, watch a couple movies, whatever. Okay, great. Time for him. Uh, time, time for him to go. He splits, and you decide to take and watch something. You decide to take and watch one more thing before you go to bed. Now, 
during this time, too, the sun has already gone down, and the lights have already adjusted to this. One, because we already know when sunrise and sunset happens, we have an event system that comes together to trigger for such things as time of day, uh, sunrise, sunset, for certain things like uh, when somebody enters or leaves a room, there's a lot of different ways you can do presence detection, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So the lights have adjusted themselves automatically, everything's cool, and everything's nice and chilled inside the house. Well, you figure, okay, it's about 11.30 at night, you want to go to bed, but you want to continue watching what you're watching. Well, you want to take this into the bedroom. Well, no problem. Uh, you have your cell phone, and you always keep it on you. It's in your pocket. You decide that you want to watch, so you pick up your cell phone and you hit and you hit follow me to turn it on. Put it back in your pocket. And as you walk from the living room to the bedroom, the system eventually figures out that you're no longer in the living room, that you're in the bedroom. Lag time is about 30 seconds, and it will take stop everything in the stop everything in the living room and bring what you were watching in the living room into the bedroom automatically. Now, this is possible because uh, we because Bluetooth is extremely uh, is extremely low intensity, and it, it can be confined to single rooms in a house. So you can set up a so you can set up a situation so that every single media director has a Bluetooth dongle, so that you can track presence all throughout the house. You can also do this in a variety of other ways, too, such as using uh, one-wire I-buttons or uh, using RFID tags, however you want to do it. The point being is that presence detection is not only possible, but is prevalently in implemented throughout the system. So you're done, you're done watching what you're watching in the, in the bedroom, but you've, you've passed out before that's all happened. So the movie stops in the bedroom, and roughly 10 minutes after... It notices that you're not using your TV anymore, so it turns off your TV. It turns off any AV receivers or anything else that's also connected to it. You're done. And if you have an additional event triggered for an activity in a room, you can simply tell it to turn off the lights after X number of, uh, after, say, 10 minutes timeout. So the lights turn off as well. Now, uh, that is just one example of a scenario of what happens when you can take and unify all of these disparate pieces of formerly disjointed pieces of open source software under a common message bus and provide a way to easily take and have a user say what they want to do in certain situations. That is, in essence, what Linux MCE actually is. It's a smart home system built from the ground up, available to everyone. I mean that that just extremely amazing. Um, just just to get started, besides you just need a basic computer, right? You need, at very least, um, the way that we have this the way that we have this system set up. It's we have very specific requirements for the way that certain things need to be set up, and this is actually one of the this is actually one of the the, the biggest stumbling blocks whenever somebody first comes into our project they immediately think that they can install this on an, on any piece of hardware that they can think of and they wonder why when they when they drop everything in why it doesn't just work let me explain what you need at first at least um, there are two ways that you can run this you can run this software 
you can run it as uh, a dedicated machine that sits in your garage, whatever. We call that a core. It's not much more than a file server. It runs the basic router application. It runs, uh, it runs the uh, asterisk. It runs file server services, etc., for the entire house. And for, or you can run it as a hybrid, which means that it is both a core and a media director in one box. Now, regardless of the configuration that you choose, you have to have two network cards inside the machine. Now, you may be asking yourself, why would a media center be needing two network cards inside the machine? Again, this is not just a media center. This is a smart home system. So what one of the aspects of what this system does is that it becomes your firewall and your DHCP and your central file server all in one. Again, keep in mind, this is supposed to be an appliance. But the reason that we need to take over... Um, there is one contention that we have with a number of people that are always asking us, why do we need to take over DHCP? Well, consider the prevalence of IP-based devices popping up throughout the home. We need to be able to determine when those devices come on or off the network. Examples of those devices would include uh, other media directors. Keep in mind that media directors in and of themselves are diskless PCs. They boot off of the core. So we need to be able to a give them an we need we need to a, be able to give them an IP address. We need to be able to uh, provide the uh, file sharing services, etc., and do everything that needs for those to function. But other devices as well, such as um, Cisco IP phones or IP telephones that connect over Ethernet, we need to be able to find those devices and give them an address, etc. But we also need to be able to find out when. Uh, other devices such as Windows file servers or network attached storage appliances such as a Buffalo Terra station pop on and off the network. And the only way that we have been able to do that in an effective way out of the box without requiring the user to be a technical wizard from hell is to basically to take over every single aspect of DHCP services. Now with that said, it is also the Internet Gateway, and we do provide a comprehensive IP tables-based firewall as part of the administration interface. So that aspect is taken care of as well. So you need, in essence, at least, if you're going to go the hybrid route, you need one PC that's going to be, and you could, for example, put this in the living room uh, and have it be just the, the primary system. Since it is the core, it would have to be on all the time. Uh, and it would have two network cards, the first network card going to your modem, the second network card going to your internal network, uh, for example, connected to a switch. Common, commonly, we have people that have um, Linksys WRT54G routers and the type, you know, the little all-in-one router boxes. And what we typically tell them to do is to uh, take the router box and disconnect from the WAN port and plug everything into the LAN port, all the LAN ports and just disable the DHCP on the router itself. That way you get access to uh, the switch aspects of the router and you also get the access point. So even that's possible. Now, um, so that's basically it. Now, with the full house installation, anytime, with, once, you have the core, once you have the core server set up, you see it on the network as a self-contained file server. You can get to it either via, uh, via Samba or NFS, 
and uh, it just shows up as a file server, and you have spots to put audio, video, all the different types of media, as well as providing a handy way to do back to do backups of all the machines inside the house. One of the applications that we actually have uh, that comes with uh, Linux MCE is a uh, back is a backup program, so that you can do backups of your workstation to the core. It's currently a Windows-only application, but we are going to port it over to Linux and Mac OS X as well. Also, um, so you have a, so you have the file server, and you have a number of media directors, one for each TV. And the only thing that you have to do for those devices is basically just plug it into the network and tell them to boot off of the network. It'll find the core. Uh, the core will figure out that this is a new workstation. It will set up a brand new NFS root for it, an NFS image, configure it, throw you into the audio video wizard so that you can say, okay, I've got a 1080p TV. Uh, I, have, uh, I, have an audio, I have an audio receiver that can do 5.1, DTS, whatever. Set all of that up. Once it's there and it's configured, then, you can, then it will go through the rest of the setup wizard, which you can tell it uh, what model TV you have, what model AV receiver that you have, and the devices that you have, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. And most of the time for media directors, that's all you have to do. Once those are in place and it knows how to control, um, knows how to control the devices at that particular media director, it's ready to go. And you can use any... Uh, you can use any remote or orbiter to take and now control every aspect of that TV. Which brings me to another point. We offer legacy audio-video control. What does this mean? Well, every TV that you know has infrared, right? Well, um, what you can do is attach an infrared transceiver. Uh, we recommend, highly recommend, in fact, we almost tell people point blank that they need to use uh, the USB UIRT, and attach infrared emitters to the back of it. You then attach the infrared uh, emitter nipple to uh, the individual infrared devices that you need to control. Once you do that, you can tell an XMCE about the devices. Essentially, at the worst case, you're basically pointing a remote control at the transceiver and saying, okay, this button does this, this button does this, channel up, channel down, inputs and this and this and this. Once you tell an XMCE about the different devices, how to control them, and how they are connected, Linux MCE will manage them automatically. What this essentially means is that when you press a button on your remote or your orbiter, Linux MCE will figure out automatically which devices to send it to. So, for example, if you press uh, volume up or volume down, well, guess what? If Linux MCE knows that you have an amplifier, it will send the commands to do volume up or volume down to your amplifier automatically. Uh, if you have, uh, uh, if you have, like, say, for example, if you want to use a uh, a Blu-ray uh, a Blu-ray player, you can connect that up. And if you have, let's say, for example, either Ethernet-based control, so you can control it over Ethernet, or if you just have infrared control, you can control the uh, if you're watching, if you select Blu-ray, if, if you select that you want to watch Blu-ray, well, guess what? All of your button presses for play, pause, rewind, etc., will automatically go to the uh, will automatically go to the Blu-ray player. Now, notice that this is in stark contrast 
to universal remote controls such as the Logitech Harmony, etc. Because you're no longer pressing, you're no longer specifying that I need to go into the TV mode, or I no longer I, I need to go into the satellite box mode, etc. Linux MCE figures out where the button presses need to go for which devices. This also includes cable boxes and whatnot, by the way. And what you can also do is connect, in addition to connecting these devices up directly, you can also plug them into, uh, you can also plug them into tuner cards so that you can replicate them throughout the house. Now, with that said, uh, the tuner cards that we normally support, the PVR150, 250, etc., from Hophog, uh, have been phased out, as you know. The uh, analog, uh, the great analog blackout is coming this next year, and um, so we are moving to support the digital tuners and the, di the uh, digital component in and out cards, such as the Hophog HD PVR. And what this essentially does, say, like, for example, I want to, uh, I want to watch the the Blu-ray. Well, I can select the Blu-ray, and if I have it connected up to the tuner. It will place. It will. It, it will let me watch the Blu-ray through the tuner, but that essentially allows me to overlay Linux MCE's menu on top of everything, so that I can still interact with the rest of the system. But you also have the ability. Let's say, for example, that you have a standard definition tuner, and you can't see everything in high definition, or you have a cable box that's high definition, and you want to be able to watch in high definition. We have a workaround, at least until we have the HD PVR. Remember earlier that I said that Linux MCE can control your devices. It can switch inputs. It can make sure that everything is in the right state so that the buttons go to the right places. You can select direct AV mode while you're watching the Blu-ray player or your high-definition cable box. Linux MCE will switch the inputs on your TV. It will switch the inputs on your amplifier automatically if one is connected and you will see the high-definition output of your player, and the button presses on your remote, again, go to the Blu-ray player or your cable box, whatnot, automatically. Now, whenever you do something that does require menu interaction, for example, Linux MCE goes, okay, oops, we need to display a menu, no problem, it flips the inputs and everything back over to the media director so that you can see your menu. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this is amazing, because I... I was thinking it was like a Myth TV alternative. I had no idea uh, it had all this stuff going we, on. We okay. okay, let me explain. We have we do use Myth TV as an option for one of the PVRs. In fact, it is the default option. But keep in mind that we use Myth TV as the for, for its recording and for, for its recording and basic TV functions. We also have support for BDR because a lot of European users use DVD and love using VDR. Um, Convergent Home Technologies, which is one of, the, uh, commercial one of the commercial arms of people that are using code based off of Linux MCE, did the VDR port. And it's about to be released in its next version with our next release, which will be out sometime closer to the end of the year. I can't make any promises yet. We're still in the process of doing some release, and we're of doing some release engineering for our alpha. Won't talk about that just yet. We don't have anything officially to announce. But, like I said, so we've got these in, these disparate pieces, and all we do is we wrap them so that they can talk to each other. So, yes, while we do have Myth TV, 
we only use it for the PBR aspects. We don't use Myth Video, we don't use Myth Games, we don't use any of those other pieces because we've already got them inside Linux MCE as discrete devices. So uh, we don't need to use we don't need to use it. As a matter of fact, one of the things that's actually on my plate is to get rid of as much of Myth TV's user interface as possible and push it over to Orbiter so that you can use uh, so that you can use it all throughout the house. And that's kind of the whole thing, too. The promise of all, the promise of Linux MCE is literally transparency of everything throughout the house. I can give you another example. Um, I have over here three Sony uh, VGP-XL1B 200-disc uh, DVD slash CD jukeboxes. They're connected into my, they are connected into my core. But they could just as easily I could just I could just as easily have one of these sitting up in my bedroom upstairs. It wouldn't matter because Linux MCE will do all of the plumbing necessary to make any media that is accessible through any one of these devices throughout the rest of the house. If I had, for example, a DVD sitting up in the DVD drive in the media director uh, somewhere down in the basement, it could say, oh, there's one down in the basement. You can, and it would show up in my media file list. That's the other thing, too. Everything is consolidated. You, um, it doesn't matter where your media is. It could be on the core. Uh, for example, ripped media that's on the core. Uh, we do provide DVD ripping functions and whatnot, by the way. Uh, it could be DVD that's sitting inside of a jukebox or inside a DVD drive somewhere. It could be, um, media sitting off on a NAS on a NAS brick somewhere. Doesn't matter. It all shows up in one place. Your T V shows, your videos, everything shows up in one place. So yeah, in essence, what we've done is taken things to the next step. A lot of the last ten to fifteen years of open source software have been about building the infrastructural pieces to make stuff like this possible. Then now, now what we're doing is essentially taking all of these individual disparate pieces and providing a cohesive glue for all of them to work together and building a user interface on top of that that anyone can use and anywhere. I mean, uh, like say, for example, I have my cell phone. When I'm inside the house, my cell phone is just another remote control. I can use it to change TV channels, turn the lights off, turn the lights down, uh, whatever, and uh, trigger media, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, when I walk outside the house, it figures out that I'm no longer uh, that I'm no longer inside the house with Bluetooth, and it triggers the offline mode. At which point, I can uh, I, I can either uh, trigger house scenarios inside the house, like for example, oh, um, let me turn the house lights off, or oh, hey, I'm going to be going home in 30 minutes. I want to turn the air conditioner on early because it's hot outside, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, those sorts of things. Uh, but you also have the ability to trigger and turn on and off the security system because you have a security panel on your cell phone that you can trigger from there before you walk into the house. And you can also view the security cameras inside the house from outside of the house on the phone as well. So we use this to great effect too for the door phones, etc. So if, like for example, and I've had this happen so many times, where uh, I live, where I live in an apartment, and uh, I live in an apartment, and quite often the delivery guy comes by while I'm at work at 11:30 in the morning, 
and there's nobody here, so he doesn't leave the package. He could just as easily leave it to leave it in the door next door, but he doesn't know to do that. So he rings the doorbell. It calls me on my cell phone. I pick up. Hello. Yep, I'm a delivery guy. Oh yeah. By the way, yeah. Go ahead. And I, I look. I see that it is a delivery guy. He does have a package. Yep. Go ahead. Leave it at the leave it at the door next door. Um, but yeah. Even so. Uh, but the other aspect too is that. What if you have uh, one aspect that I haven't mentioned too much is that, yes, there is a security system in here. You don't even need a panel for it. All you need is a motion sensor that Linux MCE can control at least and a security camera, and you've got the basics of a, of a particular security system. Now, let's say, for example, that somebody manages tries to break into the house. They trip one of the sensors, like, for example, at the very least, the motion sensor. But they could just as easily trip the, uh, if you have door contacts or window contacts, etc., those get tripped. The first thing that happens is it finds the nearest camera to those sensors. And it says, oh, okay, trip, takes a picture. It sends that picture to my cell phone while I'm outside of the office and calls me on the cell phone. It gives me a, uh, it gives me a notification message, hello, this is Pluto. There's been a security breach in the master bedroom. What do you want to do? One, call the uh, call the police. Two, call the neighbors. Or three, my favorite option, speak to the person inside the house. <laughs> now, what this does is basically, since I have all of the stereo systems and everything attached to a media director or whatnot. Uh, or, or to a squeeze box, for example. We, we, we actually, you can use, if you have a squeeze box, you can use a squeeze box as an audio player, so whatever. So you can um, take, it will call your cell phone, connect you in with the asterisk system at home, and you talk, and your voice comes out the loudspeaker, on out, out of every single loudspeaker. And keep in mind, too, that since Linux MCE, uh, assuming that you configured a Linux MCE to know about your AV devices, it knows about them, so it can do things appropriately, like turn on the amplifiers, set the set the volumes fifty percent so that they can hear you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All the little details. Does all of this automatically. So, yeah, I know I've been a, I know I've been a, lo, a a bit long-winded, but there is a lot more to this system than the name actually lets on. <laughs> like I said, it's truly amazing because I was going to ask you how you play movies on it. I had no, had no idea it did all this. <laughs> for movies, we actually have... For movies, what we do is we actually have both uh, Zenny and M-Player wrapped in our message bus, which we call DCE. For the case of Zenny, we actually use LibZenny directly. For M-Player, we basically have a standard build of, of M-Player that has the uh, slave device enabled so that we can send commands to it via a socket. That's ironically also how we talk to Myth TV. We're also one of the few uh, systems using Myth TV that actually uses the network control port, which was originally designed for Xbox use, um, so that you can, so that we can keep track of system state and be able to send commands to Myth TV so that everything remains seamless, so that we know where it is inside the system and whatnot. So, what is it based on? Is it its own distro, or do you need? Well, we Something else. Admit, okay. Well, first, a bit of history. Um, Linux MCE started off 
was written by was was originally started off as a system called Pluto Home, written by a company called Pluto Inc. They initially based the system on a variant of Debian. Uh, it's a variant uh, originally a, a variant of Debian Starge, and as such, it's basically Debian with a whole bunch of very custom glue and scripts underneath. The amount of infrastructural glue underneath the particular uh, underneath the operating system itself is nothing short of staggering. At last count, there are over 200 some odd scripts that are not part of the standard system. That they're just are that are that's our stuff. The stuff that actually makes takes care of the plug and play, that takes care of system maintenance, that uh, configures devices when it finds them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, Linux MCE initially started as a fork of Pluto Home, designed to run on top of Ubuntu. It has since moved uh, to Kubuntu because at the time, uh, Kubuntu was the uh, KWIM was the only window manager that actually supported uh, composite extensively. And you may be asking why we why we need composite. We actually need composite and OpenGL quite effectively because our top end user interface uh, uses uh, an alpha blended UI. The whole user interface principle is that we uh, it's all about the media. So your media plays full screen all the time. And we try to, whenever we need to display a menu or whatnot, we try to stay out of the way as much as possible. So the buttons for the different, for, for the for the main menu, etc., are semi-transparent, uh, and a lot of the menu functions and whatnot uh, employ a certain amount of opacity, so you can still see the stuff behind it while you select the stuff in front of it, etc., etc. And Kubuntu was the uh, Kubuntu was the only choice at the time. Although, if we really wanted to, we could push this back into Ubuntu whenever we wanted to. The main thing that's preventing this from running on other distributions at the moment is the sheer amount of time that it takes to engineer all of our custom scripts to run on another distribution. Uh, let me give you one small example. Uh, we have what is quite possibly the most intricate auto-mounter auto AutoFS script known to man. It, we actually do we actually do database lookups when we need to mount a device. So uh, basically, what happens we have a lot of scripts and stuff that try to detect a device. Once the device is detected, it goes into our database, and the database controls all the configuration information. Uh, so whenever we try to uh, whenever we need to look at a particular disk, uh, we figure out where it needs to connect to. And we send messages to our scripts to look up in the database where the disk drive is, where it needs to go, and we build a route to it and do all of this on the fly as we as we do, for example, like an LS to look what to look at what's on the disk, whatnot. And when we're done with and when we're done with what we need to for that particular device, it times out 15 seconds later. The device is unmounted. We do this so that if you want to, for example, if you wanted to, you could just take and unplug the uh, USB. You could plug in a USB disk. You would see all the uh, onto a media director or the core. It doesn't matter. You can plug it anywhere in the house. It will find it. Uh, all the movies show up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, you're done with it. Unplug it. Uh, okay, it's gone. Everything goes away. So 
we there was a lot of infrastructural work that was done there to make all of that to make all of that possible and currently a lot of that stuff is very debian specific and more to the point ubuntu specific we are looking for people to help take and port this to other systems but quite frankly everybody who has come by has been you know the certain copy sort oh yeah i can get this done in a week oh yeah no problem no problem and then they look at the system and we never hear from them again <laughs> and um yeah it's uh but we are yeah for those of you who are looking for a challenge and i kid you not this is probably going to be one of the most challenging things you've ever worked on for the challenges of, of porting this to other systems, adding additional plugins and whatnot, we are looking for additional developer manpower. Uh, other things that we're looking for specifically is we're looking for uh, user interface designers to use our user interface system. That's another thing, too, and I'll spend just a few seconds on this. Um, we use a multi-targeted user interface system, which is Orbiter. Orbiter runs on a bunch of different devices, uh, everything from tablets to cell phones to the Cisco IP phone to the on-screen displays on the TV. They're all running the same code. But we had uh, Pluto had to design a, a user interface designer that would accommodate for all of these different types of displays but make it so that you could define things like the actions of a particular button or user interface action once, but be able to differentiate between the different looks of how it's going to look and interact on all of these different devices, because they're all very different. But we need people that are, uh, we, we, we need developers and whatnot who are very good with, the, with logic end of things, but we also need uh, user interface designers and artists and whatnot who are not afraid to use some very unconventional software to get some of these things done. What's the best way for them to contact you? The best way for them to contact us, quite literally, is actually in the forums. Uh, and I say that because the forums, by the way, are forums.linuxmce.org. That's forums.linuxmce.org. And I say the forums specifically because not only can you leave messages to all of us, you can post messages in the developer forums or the users forums, etc. but we also have a link to the IRC channel, which opens up a Java-based job, uh, a Java chat app to our channel on Linux MCE, so that you can talk to us if you're interested in doing development work or or helping with documentation. We need lots of people to help with documenting this vast chunk of code. Uh, when Pluto basically, when 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 Pluto left us this code, they left us something close to four million lines of code and almost none of it documented. So we've had to basically taking over the reins of everything, figure out how all of these individual disparate pieces work and build on to that under the process. It's been an interesting challenge, to say the least. Well, just to back up a little bit, um, so you're saying any Debian-based distro would work as long as it has KDE, or would you? It would. It That it would, but you would have to port it. Again, right now, we support, we support Kubuntu 7.10 out of the box with our current release. I would not install it on anything else right now. Okay. It um, we do have a we are working on a version for eight for the upcoming 8.10 release. Uh, we do not know exactly when that will be done because we are dealing with a number of other issues as well. But we are working diligently on it, and we hope to have it done on time for the for the 0.8.10 release. All things considered. Now, uh, like I said, the reason being is that again, this isn't just some 
dinky little, let's take and throw Myth TV on top and then throw some stuff on top of that. This is an entire comprehensive system with a lot of custom plumbing that takes a lot of work since you, since you decide to want to port this to other systems. The the goal, of course, is to try, the, our, our, our mid-term goal, short-term goal is to get the next release out. Mid-term goal is to take and push as much of the custom stuff as we possibly can into standard uh, Ubuntu packages so that they can be pushed upstream and then from that, then we can maybe start thinking about pushing this onto other distributions. But that's kind of the whole thing about this system is that this system is extremely vertically oriented and right now all of it has to be all of it has to be installed. So there you go. Okay, and then the downloads, is that an ISO of the complete system with Kubuntu and everything wrapped up into one? Or? We have we have two different forms which you can which uh, of which you can download it. What we highly recommend is that you get the Quick Start DVD. The Quick Start DVD is a 4.3 gig download that contains uh, that contains both Kubuntu 7.10 as well as uh, as well as the complete Linux MCE install. In fact, what we do there is we basically the installer basically takes formats the target disk that you're going on to, wipes everything out. It's like an OEM install. It wipes everything out and, and uh, partitions, formats everything out, unpacks a completely frozen copy of Linux MCE that's ready to, that's ready to run the setup wizard, and then reboots. Uh, as, a, as an advantage to that, uh, the install time takes about 20 to 25 minutes. From, from start to finish before you start to see the setup wizard. Now, um, the downside is, of course, that uh, if you have any partitions, anything that you want to keep, it will wipe them out. With that said, we do have uh, provisions on the install DVD. If you're installing onto an existing Linux MCE installation, it will, uh, it will ask, it, if it figures out that there's an existing install, it will ask if you want to preserve settings and or home, which is where all your stuff gets stored. So there's that. If you have more custom needs, you can use the CD install, which basically means you have to get a copy of Kubuntu 7.10, and then you have to get the two, uh, the two Linux MCE CDs, install Kubuntu first, and then stick in the first Linux MCE CD and click on the Linux MCE package to install it. When it asks you for the second CD, you put it in. Now, is this available in 64-bit? It is available in 64-bit. We have versions for i386 and AMD64. Oh, very cool. Well, I think you answered all my questions plus some. <laughs> well, it's it's very. I I admit it's it, it's it's a bit overwhelming. But you don't. The the thing is, is that most people. They come to us and they see the name Linux MCE. It's been kind of a double-edged sword with us because, one, it's given us tremendous amounts of exposure, but most people come to us looking for something that's kind of like an alternative to Myth TV or XBMC, Xbox Media Center, or Elisa, or you know Elisa, or da 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 da. And they come and they we we give them the big sales pitch and they look at us like a deer in headlights because they were not expecting something something quite like this. 
Now, I would like to give you a kind of a, a set of perspective here. I have heard from a number of people, they, they often ask me whether or not they can afford something like this. And the answer is very much yes. Uh, for this apartment, I have literally almost one of everything. And I have the, the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, since I'm a developer, I have uh, every single orbiter type that we support so that I can check user interface stuff. I have uh, a Cisco IP telephone. Uh, I have microphones and everything set up for my media directors. I have multiple media directors. And I have, um, and I have a complete security system development, uh, consisting of everything from doorbell to, from the doorbell to uh, motion sensor to uh, magnetic door contacts, all of this. And all of this in, I'm looking at about 4,500 in parts for everything. And expanding this out a bit, I recently did a uh, an install for a uh, for a bed and for a place that used to be a bed and breakfast in Texas. And um, to give you an idea: uh, 13 rooms, 57 light switches, uh, six TVs, uh, each with media directors, um, two uh, two new voice over IP telephones, one cordless telephone. Uh, they already had PDA, so we used those as their existing control devices. We replaced their cell phones uh, and um, basically had, for the different rooms and whatnot, we placed a little Nokia N, uh, N800 uh, panel on the wall wherever they wanted to have a place where they wanted to control the different house functions. For everything all in, to do all of this, I mean, we're talking about a system that has everything from lighting control to media, to, uh, they have uh, three terabytes worth of media currently on there, and they can add more just by uh, going out to Best Buy, buying a Buffalo Terra station, bringing it home, and plugging it into the network. Uh, they, uh, excuse me, let me catch my breath. They have uh, climate control through an Apple uh, through an Aprilair 8870 uh, thermostat connected via RS232, and they have. Uh, so, the, so they can control the thermostat and whatnot through the orbiter. Uh, and they have, oh yeah, sorry, as an aside here, one of, the, one of the things that we do, one of the things that you do when you set up a system like this, uh, it will ask you for a floor plan. Now the floor plan is really nothing more than just a ping file or a GIF or something that you upload of something that you draw in GIMP or Inkscape or one of the many thousands of home drawing programs to draw floor plans. And what you do after you do that and you configure your devices, say that you have like say 12 lights in the house and you have your door sensors, your media directors, your, where your cameras are, you place all of the individual devices on the floor plan. And once you do that, uh, you see a button in every single major media, every single category, lights, media, security, uh, telecom, etc., called floor plan, which you can click on and instantly see the floor plan of your house along with the devices on that floor plan. So if you want to control a specific light in the house, you can see if it's on or off, or you can turn it on or off right there from the floor plan, that sort of thing. Or, or uh, let's say you want to watch the same movie on multiple media directors inside the house. Well, you select those TVs, you select what you're watching, and it will take and stream them to all of the TVs in the house automatically. That sort of thing. So with that, so, so with that said, basically, yeah, um, 
back to what I was saying, all of this functionality, uh, all of this functionality was uh, for all the different hardware and everything, cost was about 8,000 in parts. Just as a comparison, I decided to bring in a Crestron dealer. Crestron, if you want to look them up, uh, www.crestron.com, does uh, home automation and office and building automation, large-scale build, building automation as well. They, um, they do systems uh, for large companies and mansions and that sort of thing. A Crestron system, for what, we, for what we were going to do for my father's place, and keep in mind that they, that, that they don't have all of this functionality. They would not have had telephone control. I would have had to have bought a separate PBX for that. They would not have had uh, the media control. I would have had to buy two different systems for that. I would have had to buy Kaleidoscape for video and Overture for audio. I would have had to have... Uh, I would have had to have uh, had a security system panel and all of these disparate systems. And then over here, I have the Crestron system handling just lighting and audio-video switching and control. No media storage or anything, just basic switching. It's a glorified switch box. Uh, they priced it out starting out. It was going to cost about $120,000 to wire up that house. And that did not count the programmer needing to stay there for his time for to stay there for six weeks to program the system because I can't do that. Only a registered Crestron programmer can do that. So just to put that in perspective, and that system doesn't do one-tenth of what our system can do. Okay, I got a, a newbie question for you. Um, now, this involves wiring. So you, would you say like a new construction would be, would be ideal oh, no, for no, this? No. Or? Okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Sorry, that I, that I did not explain. Okay. okay. This is even Actually, this is even better. With systems like Crestron and whatnot, yes, you have to wire everything. Tons of custom wiring, tons of everything. Ugh. This mess, mess, uh, uh, icky, icky, icky. The good thing here is that um, Linux MCE supports a variety, a wide variety of different home automation standards. Uh, of course, if you have an existing X10 installation, Linux MCE can use that with the appropriate computer interface, such as a CM11A. If you have a, um, uh, in addition, we also support Insteon. Uh, SmartHome.com has an, an excellent system called Insteon, which is X10 compatible, uh, and also has its own system. Uh, both of those aforementioned systems, X10 and Insteon, work through the power line. So basically what you do is you, for things like floor lamps and whatnot, you plug in modules uh, that plug into the lamp and then plug into the wall to, do, to provide control there. And for things like existing light fixtures and whatnot, you uh, replace, all you do is replace the light switch. You just have to ensure that your light switch has uh, neutral running to the light switch box. If it doesn't, you can pull one from an adjacent uh, outlet or whatnot. If you are not comfortable with any of this, you can, of course, hire an electrician to help do the work for you. This is very straightforward, and it does not require any custom wiring at all uh, for those two systems right there. We also support Z-Wave out of the box. In fact, Z-Wave is what we recommend the most. The reason that we recommend Z-Wave is that uh, Z-Wave works over uh, Z-Wave works pretty a lot a lot similar 
uh, in that you have plug-in modules that plug into the wall for your things like your floor lamps and whatnot, and you have your replacement light switches for the wall, but the actual transmission of commands happens wirelessly. So it's infinitely more reliable, and the more the more devices, for, for Z-Wave and Insteon, the more devices that you have adjacent to each other, the stronger and more reliable the network is. So basically, in the simplest of cases, telling the computer to, connect, to control these things is a matter of plugging in, the, plugging in the modules and replacing the light switches if needed, then uh, pairing them up to your master controller once they're paired up to the master controller, you can go, you can pick any Linux MCE machine in the house, any media director in the house, and go to the setup wizard. At which point, uh, the, the, it's recommended actually that you, that you do it at the core because that's probably where your computer interface is, or your Z-Wave or whatever. And you, uh, you go to the lighting section, and you say, okay, uh, I need, it says, I need to pair with your master controller. Well, you set your master controller down next to your computer interface it, uh, and say go, and you press go on the controller. It finds your computer interface and communicates with it, uploads all the information that it knows about into the system. Linux MCE then knows about all your lights in your house, and it will go through and say, it will go through each light in the house and turn it on and turn it off and ask you where it is. I'm now controlling a light. Which room is it in? Okay, it's in the bedroom. What kind of light is it? Is it a floor lamp, a accent lamp, a door sconce, etc., etc.? You select these things, and once that's in place, okay, Linux MCE can now control your lights, and it knows which room they're in. And after which, after you configure your devices, your things like your, uh, your media directors, your lights, your climate control, and, what, and whatnot, Linux MCE will automatically put buttons on your orbiter controls for all of your different devices. For example, if you have lights in a room, well, you have, at the very least, on and off. If you have lights in a room with a media director, it will add a showtime event so that whenever you're ready to see a show, it will dim the lights in the room automatically. And when you're done with the show, it will bring them back up, things like that. And that's really cool. Um when you first said that, when you lived in an apartment, I was like thinking, wow, you'd probably lose your security deposit doing rewiring, but there is no wiring involved besides the light plates, right? Yeah, just at, just at the light plates. And I didn't really even do that here. All I basically did here, since I don't really, since, since I only really have ceiling fans for my lights, I don't turn them on anymore. I just basically put, I put floor lamps. I put nice floor lamps wherever I wanted light and then plugged li uh, lamp modules into those. So I didn't even do any of the lighting here. I didn't even do any of the wiring here. I didn't need to. The only wiring that I've actually done is basically the installation of the, uh, the, installation of the door contacts and the window contacts as well as the doorbell. And I asked my landlord if I, if I could do that beforehand, and he said, sure, no problem. It wasn't any big deal. It took me about an hour to do to do both of those things. So, yeah, done. <laughs> and if you move, you can take everything with you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Well, I think you covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the the thing is, and I, I do want to spend some. I want to spend a small bit of time here uh, telling what's going to be happening in the future. Um, what you see right now, even in its current form. 
uh, Linux MCE is a formidable smart home system. We still have a lot that we need to implement, particularly in the area of climate control and whatnot. We can currently do things like control uh, control pools and hot tubs, jacuzzis, that sort of thing. But we need to be able to add support for things like uh, vent dampeners, so that you can install a, a vent, uh, so you can install a vent damper in your air vents and provide multi-zone climate control. So if you want to make one room cooler than another, you can do that, or you can turn off air for certain rooms and others if you're not in them. Uh, but we also need to. We also have a lot of other things in the pipeline as well, such as um, I've written a game media type, and currently we support MAME out of the box. Basically, if you uh, if it detects that you uh, there, it adds a folder called games to your media's files, and if you drop MAME ROMs in there, it goes, oh, here are some MAME ROMs. It goes out, installs MAME, and turns on the orbit interface for it. So basically, it's a completely integrated part of the system, and eventually, what what I, one of the things that we actually one of the things that we actually do have, uh, we have a feature called monitor mode, which we actually use in a, several different places. Uh, for example, when you have a um, when you're watching a DVD, and you go to the DVD menu, uh, we know when you're at the DVD menu, so we periodically send picture frames of the DVD menu to all the orbiters in that room. So you can pick up one of the orbiters in the room and see the DVD menu playing on that orbiter and click the, you know, click the menu item on the screen, you know, to go to that part of the DVD. Uh, it also, it even happens on the cell phone, too. You can even do it from the cell phone. It's kind of cool. Um, but uh, we also provide that functionality for playing games as well. So let's say a parent wants to watch their kid playing a game and they're in another room or whatnot, they can they can select their bedroom or whatnot and if they're playing a game they see the game playing on their on their orbiter, be it their PDA or uh, a tablet or their cell phone, whatever. That sort of thing. And I'm actually going to be adding functionality soon enough uh, um, that will allow you to stream the same game to multiple rooms inside the house. I'm still working on some of the logic to make that possible. So that'd be uh, like something from like an Xbox or PlayStation. Or, that's or actually that's just that's just for games that are emulated on the that, that are emulated on the media director itself. Okay. Now the reason you can't do the reason that you can't do things like hook a PS3 or whatever up to it, it's actually very it's actually a very simple thing. Uh, it has to do with the fact that when you digitize through a tuner card, guess what? There's a delay of okay. an order. Yeah, usually about a quarter of a second delay, and that can be a big pain in the ass if you're trying to play a video game through a tuner card and you're about a fourth of a second behind, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, crap, I just got killed. Right. So, <laughs> so no, yeah, that's not that's not feasible in any form or fashion at the moment. Things will change, though. So we've so we've got game support whatnot. Um, we also have um, we we also we're also going to be adding support for a lot more internet streamable content, such as uh, Shoutcast, such as uh, such as Shoutcast, internet radio streaming, that sort of things. Support for uh, podcast RSSs, such as your show, uh, uh, as well as uh, how to explain this one. Uh, other types of services, but the thing is, no matter what, and for all of these different things, like say if you're if you 
keeping something on YouTube, if you're looking at something on YouTube or if you're looking at a podcast, RSS, whatever, it's all in the same place. Uh, all of my YouTube videos are in the same place as my recorded videos, as my uh, as my recorded videos, as my TV shows, as my DVDs, etc. I just filter out what I want to watch. So everything gets consolidated into one place. And we're going to see a lot more uh, media types and uh, media types and whatnot actually supported. Another thing that we'll be seeing uh, a couple of releases down the line is support for Open Office. We'll be embedding Open Office so that you, uh, an Open Office viewer, so that you can uh, view your documents on a TV screen and print them to the nearest printer. For example, when you're about to walk out the door to the office to do something, uh, and so on and so on. Lots of neat things coming down the pipeline. I also want to add. Uh, an instant messenger inside the orbiter as well, so that you can answer instant messages on in any TV or uh, orbiter device inside the house. That sort of thing. Lots of lots of neat things coming up. Well, I can't wait to try this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do want to say we have specific hardware requirements. Again, I want to iterate this again. Uh, you you won't go wrong if you use. A, a PC with an NVIDIA for, let's say, a hybrid. If you're building a hybrid or a media director, use an NVIDIA graphics card, 6200 or better. Uh, you need at least 512 megs of RAM. I would highly recommend at least one gig. Memory is so cheap these days. Please load up on it. Um, sufficient storage, of course, and two network cards. And make this thing, use this thing as it is intended Please make it the center of your house, make it your router, make it your firewall, and things will just work, we promise. It's when you don't do that, it's when you go against that, that things don't work as they intend to, and you spend days and days banging your head against the wall. So resist the urge. Now, would you recommend 64-bit over 32? Honestly? <laughs> no. Um, it's, it's, not a, it's not an issue of stability. It's not an issue... It, there's really no... No reason. What you might get a three to four percent performance increase. Okay. It's it's for those people who absolutely no. I want to use AMD sixty four because I have an AMD sixty four. There's really no reason to. Well, unless they have four gigs of RAM or more. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's and that's true. I mean, we may see some performance increases once. Once the CPUs get fast enough to, and that's the other thing too. Right now we're a little ahead of the curve, as in we do support ripping Blu-rays to the core, but you have to have the absolute fastest thing out there to even think about playing them right now, because we do not do uh, because Nvidia's drivers do not do any uh, acceleration whatsoever, X2 H.264 uh, acceleration whatsoever. So everything has to be done by the CPU. So. This is in stark contrast to what you might think. All of the power in the system needs to be at the media directors. Your media directors need to be fast hot rods. Your core is a file server. It doesn't need to be that fast. It just needs to have plenty of storage. And even that's not true because you can keep your storage in NAS blocks. It doesn't matter. And that's the other thing, too. Um, we have a storage radar that constantly runs that checks the storage space available on every single thing that it knows that it can talk to. And it will automatically, when you choose to rip something, like say if you choose to copy a DVD or a CD to the system, it will automatically choose the disk that it thinks is the largest that can hold it automatically. 
So it, it figures this stuff out on the fly. Uh, we also have support for uh, UPnP as well. So if you have a PlayStation 3, if you have a, uh, a D-Link UPnP media player type device, I've even used my Nokia N810 running Canola with the UPnP plugin as an output device. Uh, it can, they can, those devices can play anything on the Linux MCE core. Conversely, if you have a UPnP file server or whatnot already in the system and a UPnP storage appliance inside the system, uh, we have, uh, it's also a UPnP client, so it will go out and find those UPnP shares and bring them into the system as well automatically and bring them and put them in as part of the media list. That's pretty neat. I, now I know what my Christmas present is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> or, or part of it. It's going to be a lot of work. It, well, here's the thing. If you listen, if, if, you're, if you're really interested, if you're seriously interested, read the forums. Come talk to us in the chat rooms. We've been through all of this. We know what works. We know what doesn't work. And when we say use this, by God, you you should use it because it will save you a lot of time and energy and anguish. And if you do these things, it literally is plug and play. You drop it in, it just works. It's a very Apple way of looking at things, but, well, uh, we're looking for people to help uh, add additional support for hardware. So, hey, you know. <laughs> well, I, I noticed on your on the IRC up at the top and the on the title, it says Linux MC Linux Tag Roundup. Yes. Is that, we is that were, coming up? Uh, actually, no, that was actually, we need to change that topic. We were, that was back in, uh, that was from May 26th until uh, May 31st in Berlin. We were present at the Linux Tag Show. Linux Tag is, of course, the, uh, is Europe's premier Linux event. Uh, we had a very good showing there. We killed at the show. Our, our booth was continuously packed. I mean, there was always a line of people looking at all of our stuff because what we did for the Linux Talk Show was we brought everything that we had. Most of our setups, we took and disassembled our setups and brought it with us on the plane all the way over to Europe, all the way over to Berlin, and assembled all of this stuff. And we had, at last count, when we looked at the, the, at the device tree, when we finally finished up, we had about 140 different devices that we had connected into the system there, ranging from lights to all of our cell phones, our PDAs, all of these different things working together, security cameras, so that they could see an actual system in use and working. And let me tell you, when they saw the follow me functionality working, their jaws just hit the floor. But it was... Um, basically, more or less, it was, um, it was, oh, God, how many of us were there? Ten of us? Ten, eleven of us? All in that booth? It's kind of funny. You would normally, see, if you normally, if you're normally at one of these trade show booths, you spend some time at the booth, and then you get tired of spending some time at the booth, and you want to walk around. We love this system so much, we never left the booth. <laughs> all of us, all of us were in that booth all the freaking time. Selling, and we had to be because there were people coming up to us just constantly looking at this thing, and we were giving our little sales pitches and uh, and 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 showing the system off and whatnot. And people were just absolutely just dumbfounded. And when they finally asked us, "Well, how much does this cost?" The software is free, and that's they just that's when they blew you know their brain exploded. <laughs> Are you going to be anywhere at any trade 
trade shows in the United States? We that's we're still trying to figure out. Um, we're still systematically trying to find a way into the Linux trade shows here in the states. We have a definite gig at Linux Talk every year because of the huge reception that we've got there. Uh, we have various people. Uh, who are involved with the project who have already given talks at various local shows. Uh, for example, Barry McCormick just finished up a show in Salt Lake City at the local open source event there at the uh, University of Utah. And um, it was received extremely well there. And we have, lots of, we have lots of people that give little talks like this all over the place. We had another user give another talk on Linux MCE down in South Australia, and um, it was well received there as well. So, little by little, we're going to, you're, you are going to see us at the trade shows, little by little. Yeah, I have, a, I have, I have yeah. a couple more for you. I don't know if you heard of them. Uh, Ohio Linux Fest? Uh, no, I have not. It's coming up October 11th. Okay. And then there's a new one called Southeast Linux Fest, which the okay. first one will be next year around June 13th. Okay, fantastic. South Carolina. Okay, fantastic. I'll, I'll put all the links. I'll put all the links in the show notes, and if you want to check Beautiful. them out. Beautiful. That would be great, and we will definitely. Uh, if, if we can find a way to provide a show presence there, we will. the The most the the biggest obstacle to the biggest obstacle to being present at a at a trade show is, of course, sponsorship. But of course, now with the increased exposure uh, with Linux MCE. Especially with the show that we gave at Linux Talk, whatnot, we hope to be seeing uh, considerably increased sponsorship so that we can uh, so that we can do these individual shows because there's a lot of logistical cons there's a lot of logistical support involved in bringing us all together in one place and being able to afford uh, the appropriate booth space. We need at least a 10 by 10 booth, and that's somewhat constraining to be able to show off our stuff. So. Yeah, it, a lot of this is still being worked out. We're still in the very early ages of being a community-based project. Uh, it's no longer just concerned. It's no longer just Pluto holding the reins and everything. We're now a completely autonomous and uh, autonomous community in and of ourselves, and we're getting we're we're learning to stand on our own two feet. And as such, you know, we're when we we will you will be seeing us at trade shows in the future, although. I don't have any to announce at this point in time. Well, not to jump around on different topics, but how, how many developers do you have on the team? Uh, currently, uh, there are, hold on a second, let me actually count. <laughs> and this is all under the GPL? Uh, the majority of it is under the GPL. There are some pieces that Pluto initially wrote, which they use for their own commercial uh, enterprises, which are under the Pluto public license. It is like the GPL, except uh, that uh, if you decide to bundle the software with hardware as a cohesive piece, then you need to contact Pluto for licensing. We are in the process, actually, of replacing those PPL pieces with GPL code. So, yeah, most of it's under GPL, a few pieces under PPL, which is almost like GPL. There are ten. There are eleven of us that are doing development work, and we're spread across the globe. Oh, uh, I kind of I had to think about that one for a bit because it's um, yeah. Uh, I don't really think of it in terms of we have X number of developers. We have we have people who are 
who are constantly working on the code, and we have people that come in and out to work on various aspects of things as they have time. Of course, this is a volunteer-based organization. I would also like to point out, with now that I think about that, we just filed for 501c3 uh, uh, incorporation for a nonprofit organization in the state of New York at the Linux MCE Foundation. The paperwork will be going through within the next couple of weeks. All right. So we will, yeah, so we will have an ad administrative umbrella for which to do all of our logistical concerns. So there you go. Well, it's, I think it, it was a good interview. Got all all the information I needed. Plus some. Uh -huh. I bet you weren't expecting all of that other no, stuff. No, I, I, this surprised me. So, I mean, yeah, okay, so this thing plays DVDs and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it does that, but that's, you know, um, mm -hmm, yeah, uh, yeah. But that's kind of like saying that Albert Einstein was a patent clerk, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well... You know, I, I really, I really hope you do take and take a look at the project to see what we've done to take and install it. As I've said before, we are where one of us is always available on the chat room to help out people. Uh, we do some of us, some of us are there all, all, all pretty much constantly, and we it can get kind of stressful answering the same questions on and on and on, even when people don't read the facts. But, you know, it's, it's just the nature of, of being a volunteer-based organization. But there's always someone there to help. And we've all been through the rigmarole of installing the system. We know what works. We know what doesn't. So we can help you and others install a system to do all of the things that you see in our demo video. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but on YouTube, we have a demo video, a Google video. We have a demo video. It's also available from the Linux MCE website. It's 24 minutes long, and I kid you not, I swear, I have had people actually come up to me and say that you guys are just advertising. There's no way it can do all of this stuff. Yes, it can. I'm running all of this in my house. It does do all of this. It does exist. It does work. So it's, it's a bit much, I guess. But we're trying, to, we're trying to attack a much bigger use case, and trying to provide something that previously did not exist, a smart home system, a real one. That is amazing. Uh, I'll put the uh, that the link to the video in the show notes, too. Okay. Fantastic. Now, you sell the CDs, too, or the DVDs? Yes, we actually do. We're actually we're having a bit of a logistical problem with the DVDs right now. Uh, the person that was in charge of that has... Um, is not is not available at the moment, so we're trying right now to get an alternative source for the CDs. Once we have an alternative source done for pressing and making the CDs, then we will take and put a link back up to be able to sell those DVDs and whatnot again. But until then, like I said, you can download it off of the site and burn it onto a disc. We have two versions of the DVD. It's a, we have a single layer DVD and a dual layer. The only difference between the single layer and the dual layer is that the dual layer has the high-resolution, high-definition version of the Linux MCE video on the disk. So it makes a good demonstration piece as well. All right, excellent. Well, I want to thank you for joining me tonight. I enjoyed this very much. And if you ever have any updates, just get a hold of me and uh, we can talk again. Will do. All right, thank you. Yeah. All right, there you go. Thank you, Thomas. If you would like more information 
the show notes are located at hackerpublicradio.org and monsterb.org slash hpr.html. And if you'd like to contact me, my email address is monsterb at linuxcranks.info, or if you would like to chat live, I'm located over on Freenode at hash linuxcranks. All right, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.